Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Ruttles Film Podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and prefab four fans, and each week we discuss a different movie about starring or inspired by the Ruttles. This week, that film is The Russells, All You Need Is Cash, a 1978 made-for-TV documentary following the career of Dirk, Nasty, Stig and Barry, who created a musical legend that lasted at lunchtime. And that's probably about as far as I can take that joke. Ed, obviously The Russells is a parody of The Beatles, um, so my first obvious question to you is, this parody of The Beatles, how well does it parody The Beatles? Uh, it parodies The Beatles very effectively. But it depends on how you think about parodies. I suppose that uh, it's fair to say that the way that we parody things uh, has moved on since 1978. And while I think The Ruttles is very, very successful in taking elements of the Beatles' career and showing you alternative versions of them uh, that are sort of uh, satisfactorily accurate, it does not always succeed in making effective jokes out of that. Okay, give me an example. Okay, um, the Ed Sullivan show. So Yeah, that's a really good one. So the way they do the Ed Sullivan show is as follows. They show you the familiar footage, Ed Sullivan talking to camera, the, you know, the, the bit we all know, now all these, these young boys uh, come over from Liverpool, all that stuff. <laughs> 
which is that's my first ever Sullivan it's, impression. You I'm know quite, what? It's pretty solid. I'm for quite a first pleased attempt. with that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not bad. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I'm not going to try it again because I'll, no, just, no, ruin, I'll ruin just ruin it. it. Yeah. But anyway, so he's doing his thing to uh, camera, and he says, "You know, these boys from Liverpool." And then w- when he says Beatles, there's a, a, a fairly brutal edit in which like someone voices over Ruttles, and mm-hmm. it's like it's it's brutal. They should enough. have got you to do the, the <laughs> voiceover. <laughs> they definitely should have done. It. Yeah, yeah. Although I was minus one year old at the time, unfortunately, wouldn't have stopped a pro like you. <laughs> so. Um, they uh, so somebody voices it over, and it's a fairly brutal edit. And like part of the joke is that it's a fairly brutal edit, and you can hear it. Mm. But then what happens is he introduces the Ruttles, who play um, a Beatles-like song, which I think is maybe "Hold Your Hand" or "I'm" uh, mm. or, or "Number One." I forget which one it is. And then that is that. And what you've really got there is a a recreation of the same thing with the Ruttles there instead of the Beatles. What it's not doing is making any kind of joke out of that. Mm. And I think that parody needs to make a commentary on the thing it's parodying. It's not, it may have been enough at the time, and I can see why it would have been very satisfying to watch at the time, but I don't think it's quite enough to just do the thing that the original thing did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I see. I mean, I, and I think we, you know, we have, uh, I'd like to say deliberately, got straight into the, the, the meat of, of this discussion, which is that a parody, uh, like you say, in of itself, should actually be doing something with that subject matter other yeah. than just recreating it um, yeah. quite yeah. faithfully. Yeah. And I think maybe it's worth saving the discussion on the actual music, the, the album of songs that was sort of released in conjunction with this film, and concentrating just on the Beatles as they're presented in this film first, because I think yeah. it's probably worth having the discussion about those two things separately. Sure. So I think I often have trouble when I'm reviewing films being funny about a film that is already a comedy. Yes, very Be- true. Because it's because it's it's there already. You know, it, you're, you're, there's only so much you can go with with that genre, and I think it's very easy to be comical about a film that is taking itself seriously yeah uh, as opposed to a film that's a comedy in the same way the Beatles were funny people mm. they yeah. were already funny characters yeah um already so you know there were there were a couple of like really obvious moments in the film where I'm just like well that's just what happened yeah like, yeah, yeah. like the, doing the, it again. the news yeah. conference when they're answer, answering questions and they're being a bit funny about it mm. you know like uh did seeing the queen make you feel better no see my doctor makes you feel better yeah, not yeah. my doctor well no not your doctor right. like all that kind of stuff like that's that's just a kind of like back and forth that they actually had yeah and when yeah. you see them like goofing around on uh, during the musical section of Ouch, which is obviously a parody of Help, yeah, it's literally what they were doing in the film. Like right, they were right. just goofing around with with whatever they had to hand. So, yeah. so it's it's hard to to sort of see what comedy value the film is delivering when it is just basically recreating what the Beatles were doing in the first place. Yeah, it's I know what you mean, and and also it's. There's so much affection for the Ruttles, you know, among Beatles fans, yeah. among the Beatles themselves, other than Paul, who was not all that keen <laughs> to begin with, although I think he's turned the corner now. But generally speaking, like all, all, all the Beatles liked it or at least came to like it. And I feel like, I don't know, I don't, I, we're, we're not here to slay a sacred cow. You know, this 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 is not the aim of this. And I, I and and by the way, I really enjoy it. It's, it, it's good fun to watch. I think it's probably the, 
third or fourth time I've seen it. Mm. I, I enjoy it every time, but if I'm perfectly honest, every time I kind of think to myself, oh, is, is that is that all? Yeah. Oh, I feel really bad saying it because it's it, <laughs> because like I do genuinely have a lot of affection for it, but but th- there is a lot of me that that just thinks, and maybe it's because of over familiarity with the subject matter that it's parodying. You know, because there are some quite specific bits of news footage that it's parodying that I know very well, and so a lot of me just thinks, oh, you're just doing that again. Yeah, like, but I I don't know because I feel like the the bits of news footage that they're parodying only works because you know that subject matter in the first place. You know, mm. you couldn't show someone who you couldn't show someone of um, a, a younger generation who isn't necessarily as well versed uh, in the Beatles' career as we are now. I, I believe that these people exist. Yeah, um, and you couldn't show them the Ruttles and expect them to understand the thing that the film is trying to do. Mm. It requires that pre knowledge to get the joke but the yeah. point is that there isn't always a joke yeah well yeah that's a really good way of putting it because actually it's that thing of a, an observational comedian you know it's so, someone like an observational stand-up comic you know you sort of like michael mcintyre or someone like that who's you know not particularly my cup of tea but he's a really really skilled observational comic mm. and and he will be on stage and he will say things like do you know that thing when you're like trying to toast some bread and you and it, it you know and you've only got the toaster on you know level two and it burns the toast and you think well why you know why is that what what's level eight then in that case it, you know <laughs> I haven't made this is good no there's, to, be, to be fair like, I was going to make fun but actually you know what as as an off the cuff example <laughs> of what the, the the kind of thing that an observational com- comedian might say right that's fairly solid i right. think I, I, but to be it's perf- a little bit it's a bit 90s seinfeld yeah. but i'll give you it <laughs> i think to, to be perfectly honest i think i may have seen Stuart lee say something similar when parodying michael mcintyre so oh i think god there were so many that there's so, so many layers, so many layers to it yeah, yeah, yeah. oh that god is- in a podcast where we're talking about a parody you've invoked <laughs> an example from a comedian that was actually using that example whilst parodying something yeah, which isn't even parodying the thing we're talking about. No. It's something entirely different. It's an example. Oh, God. Oh, right. God, so, so, inception. So, so anyway, so to come back up from the, the, the snow level in, in Inception. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think there's a thing when an observational comedian says, you know that thing, right, where this thing happens and everyone goes, ha, yes, you're absolutely right. That thing does happen to me. And that is satisfying. Because it's like someone has said, yeah, yeah, no, this thing happens as well, and like you know, and you know, in a in in a slightly deeper way, maybe it might it makes you feel slightly less alone because other people go through the same thing as you. Who knows? But it, essentially, that's what's happening. You're just being uh, someone is saying this thing happens to me as well. Isn't it funny that these things happen to all of us? But they're not necessarily making a joke about that. There, there is an extra layer of it where you actually make a joke about the thing, as mm. opposed to. There is satisfaction in the recognition of someone saying, yes, this thing happens to all of us. That's satisfying in and of itself, but it's not a joke. Yes, I agree with you. <laughs> We've gone so deep on this already. <laughs> yes, we really, really have. Yeah, yeah. I, It's a really interesting point you're making because we're kind of deconstructing <laughs> observational comedy. Yes. As a way to uh, critique 
this this spoof movie. Yeah, um, the Beatles are a good band. They, they? were quite good. Yeah, yeah, but not not as good as this point you're making now about observational comedy. <laughs> let me let me think about this. Yeah. So I think that it differs slightly because what you're saying there is an observational comic would make a point that is funny because it is universally recognised but isn't spoken of. Whereas this is spoofing a film that is hopefully recognisable to everybody mm. because it's in the mainstream. Yes, almost. Other than when you said it's spoof... <laughs> We're so close to by, it. By, <laughs> so, 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 we're so close to actually by, by beginning means, the podcast. Right? Like, by all means, let's spend an hour on this. Almost. But when you say it's spoofing a film, that is a key point. Okay. Because it's not spoofing a film. Okay. Because uh, the uh, film that we are thinking of it spoofing, i.e. the Beatles anthology, is not going to be made. Sorry, for another I, 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 I miss. I misspoke. What I meant was it's spoofing footage, yeah, I mean, or is 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 uh, spoofing like a career? It's spoofing a thing that is already in the mainstream, basically, mm. right? I yes. think that's the thing. Like, so a really good example would be when, uh, and, and it is a, it's, it's one of the highlights in the film that I, I'm sure that everyone who loves this film would agree is when they talk about the Beatles. Sorry, excuse me, the Russells' yep. discovery and, and subsequent uh, problems with tea. Mm, right yeah. that's a funny thing yeah. because that is here is a thing that we know we all know what that actually refers to yeah but it's been given sort of a a parody twist yes exactly right? that makes sense to me and that's the point of parody yes exactly yeah, yeah. yeah whereas the ed sullivan example you gave earlier where they perform a song a perfectly serviceable beatles sounding song yeah isn't by any means i wouldn't say funny no there, there isn't a joke in it i mean no. i i enjoy watching it yeah like it's it's fun to watch but there isn't a joke in it yeah but, i don't i don't know where that lands us on the toast thing i think maybe we should drop the toast thing. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> yeah but 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 I, I think we agree on this point that, that there needs to be a a point of the parody or, or a, a commentary on the thing itself that that then serves as the parody. Yeah. Okay. Right. So. So we stick with tea, not toast. Yes. Okay. Let's stick with tea. Okay. Fine. <laughs> God. If we move on to the songs, and I, I think I think this probably brings this into sharper focus, right? Because, yep. by the way, I should point out this is the first time I've watched this film, yep. and I've been really looking forward to it because I know how much it is held in very high regard by Beatles fans. So I've been really looking forward to watching the film. I did sneak several listens of the album before uh, attempting watching the film. Mm. Under the impression that the album itself might stand up on its own right as a parody album of a Beatles yeah. album. And listening to that several times, I just felt like, oh, these are just songs that sound like the Beatles. There's not actually a joke in any of them. They're just Beatles-y songs. Yes. So I was under the impression that maybe they just make better sense in context. I don't think they do. I think they. I think the songs are more often than not just very, very good recreations of Beatles sounding songs. I mean, actually, the, just listening to the songs on on Spotify or whatever, as we have been the last couple of days, for me, that's the bit that really does work as a parody. Because I feel like if it, 
if I listen to one of the Ruttles songs and it is a really effective pastiche of a Beatles song, that in itself is satisfying and it's enough. Yes. Because I can listen mm-hmm. to it and think, brilliant, isn't that clever? And uh, and the song itself is good. I mean, some of them are kind of... What's the... Uh, Living in Hope. Yes. It, it, uh, it's, it, yeah. it's arguably a, a better song than, than Don't Pass Me By, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> like, I was... But I think... Uh, oh, we're going to get into host territory again. Um, I think that I agree with you in that uh, the experience listening to the album is very satisfying because of the painstaking detail they have gone to to recreate those that sound. Yeah. However, I, I don't think that necessarily means that they are good parodies. Mm-hmm. What they haven't done in those songs is find a way to take a Beatles song and turn the content of that song on its head in a way that turns it into a joke. Yeah. What they've done instead is it's, it's a little bit similar to, and I don't, I don't mean this to be a disservice because I, I do think it's an incredible accomplishment that, that as, as I understand it, mostly Neil Innes has achieved in writing and recreating his songs. But it's a little bit like if you fed a bot several, like the, the entire Beatles back catalog yeah. and asked for it, to come up with a Beatles song yeah. or an album of Beatles songs. Yeah. That's that's the, the the overall impression, the overall result I get. Yeah, but but I think I mean when you listen to the songs on their own, they don't particularly need to have jokes within them. No. Nope. The the fact that I agree. although the, I mean there are some that do. Like you pointed out to me earlier when we were listening to the archaeology album, the with a little help from my friends parody Rendezvous. Rendezvous, yeah. Yeah. Um, ha- has a joke in it, which I hadn't noticed the first time until you pointed it out and then we listened to it again, whereby, because it's a call and response, lead vocal and backing vocalists uh, thing, but it introduces a concept whereby the lead vocalist is having an argument with the backing vocalists. That is great, you know, yeah. and and uh, that, that thing is a completely self-contained joke. It doesn't need yeah. to live within a film. But I, but I think in general, it is enough for the songs themselves to be effective pleasing pastiches mm. and then for the actual jokes to come when they're used in the film for them to prop up the jokes in the film however as we've said that there aren't quite enough jokes in the film to achieve that but but i should point out as well that the example you're given there is from a later album yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and i don't think that you know my my biggest i guess point to make about the archaeology album which i hadn't again i've only listened to as preparation for to this recording is that that feels like a much more successful parody. Like the the mm. songs on that album uh, and the substance of the the lyrics and the approach to, to to those are much more in keeping of what we understand to be a parody than the original Russell's album. Yeah, the original Russell's albums are it, it is it, mostly barring a few sort of pun titles and and the odd lyric here or there are mostly just. Very good Beatles replicas. Yeah. Can I talk about what I think does work as a parody in this film? Sure. I mean, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> Toast. No, I'm joking. Um, so, um, I think that the for me the best moments in this film, the funniest moments in this film, are watching Eric Idle as the narrator. Yeah. Like he has by far the best quotes, the best one-liners. Like this, this idea, this brilliant, brilliant idea of 
um, how he seems at battle with the camera he's presenting to. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. just really clever, yeah. really well done. Yeah. And um, it, it actually made me think, oh, this is, feels like a precursor to like the day to day, which I grew up on. Like, you know, yeah. this, this sort of like Chris Morris view on how best to satirize media. Yeah. And, you know, like when he's talking about, like, they met at this very spot and the camera, like, pans past it. So he has to keep up with the pan, the mm. camera. And he's like, back there, like, a few feet back there. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. that's when they met. Uh, I just, I think it's generally brilliant. It happens quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it makes me, th- it makes me think that the film might be better viewed as a satire on the media coverage of the Beatles than it is as a parody of the Beatles themselves. Yeah, yeah. Because there are a few other elements I think that, you know, the, the tabloids around um, the Beatles coming out to enjoying tea, that that is that's a very strong, you know, the, being able to show this is how news reportage of the Beatles enjoying tea would be shown uh, mm. as, as tabloid headlines. I think that's brilliantly done. And also when it gets to the point later on where Ron Nasty's new girlfriend, who's clearly a Yoko surrogate in the film, is the literal daughter of Hitler. <laughs> um yeah. is yeah. is is like that that's I don't feel like the 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 film at that point definitely isn't making a joke about Yoko Ono. Mm. They're making a joke about how she was received by media at the time. Yeah, and they and, and they're and they're sitting in a hotel shower with yes, the shower yeah. turned on rather than having a bed in. Mm. Yeah, yeah, those are the things. I remember those things like thinking specifically like this is this is parodying this whole this is parodying the bed in and all the the media coverage to John and Yoko around that time really well really effectively and yeah you're right a bit those Eric Idle bits where he's you know presenting the story because he's sort of he'd done that before and I think like Python more broadly had done that before so I can think of the bit where um, in the and now for something completely different film when he is introducing the sort of the hell, what goes on to be like the Hell's Grannies segment. Right, yeah, you know the one yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is walking down the pavement and the camera is backing away from him. Yeah. He's talking to get, and then he falls down a manhole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's the same thing. It's like, it, you know, he, he, he's like, he's being very, very serious. And then the, um, uh, and then, you know, it, it, it's parodying the idea in, in a way that the, presenter actually needs to be outside the place where the thing happens yes exactly like, that yeah. here i am standing outside the hotel where this well not in the exact spot yeah, but yeah, here yeah, on, yeah. you know and, here i am in a limousine in new york right. and this is where um you know they're oh, not here obviously in the limousine but yeah, in new york yeah, yeah. yeah all yeah. of that stuff i did i know it's, it's brilliant but it and it's you're exactly right that's it it is a very effective parody of the format yes in a way that I'm hard pressed to think of an earlier example of when that had been done. Yeah, yeah, because that that sort of mockumentary thing. Because, like, when you talked about the day to day, you know, Mm. I remember the day to day, and um, like that had that had that sort of uh, faux documentary thing in it um, that sort of prefigured the office. You know, there was oh yeah, yeah, people like working at the swimming pool, and there was one that was I think even called the office in the day to day that, that prefigured that. But yeah, this thing of taking the piss a bit out of the way documentaries are made, yes, and poking fun at how documentaries. And, are made. and you you made the point earlier about this is you know the 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 form that documentaries take follow a template, 
Mm. You know, this idea that the journalist always has to be outside the hotel before he's saying yeah. this is the hotel where they're right, actually right, staying right. at, like that yeah. kind of thing. Like, it doesn't have to happen in a documentary. No, and, no. and this film very successfully pokes fun at that. Yeah. And like I say, I, I just, this is constant battle between the narrator and the camera uh, itself. Like, not, not necessarily, you don't, you get the impression it's not a camera person, but just the camera itself, the thing <laughs> that he's presenting to, like yes. getting away from him or move, like doing a thing that he doesn't want it to do at that time while he's trying to be very serious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was very, very clever. For me, the, the funnier moments in the film, the bits that work best in the film are Eric Idle in that role, spoofing the, the idea of documentaries and, and the, the, the documentary template. Yeah. More than the actual elements that are supposed to be parody of the Beatles' career. Yeah, yeah. And and I wonder whether... Because he's obviously spoofing the documentary, but it, I suppose he's also spoofing the, the, the rockumentary, if you will. But then, in 1978, I don't know, were... Were we familiar with the the rock documentary? Yeah, and, and it's difficult to know that, isn't it? Well, this is the interesting things because you and I are very familiar with the Beatles anthology, and so we, we can watch it and think, as I said earlier, like you know, it is almost as if it is parodying something that then happens. What seventeen years later? Um, yes, sixteen, seventeen years later. And, and yeah, it's because it's a really interesting point. Isn't it? So we know that as preparation for this film eric idol was given access to what was then neil aspinall's long and winding road documentary so yeah. the footage that he had been compiling for a documentary about the beatles career that would eventually over a decade later become the anthology yeah. but at, at that time was basically a private project where he was compiling footage and news reports and all the usual information and stuff in order to be able to one day release a, uh, a, a a documentary about the Beatles. Yeah. Eric Idle was given this footage to to help with the Russells. Yeah. So he's working on, or he's working from material that the rest of the world hasn't seen yet. Mm. Like, in theory, it's in the public consciousness, but mm. actually the idea of, of all of these things being strung together, this might actually be the first instance of the Beatles career being told as one whole story for an audience. Yeah. And it happens to be a parody of that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is kind of perfect in a way. Yes. Yeah. And certainly like uh, George Harrison seems to seems to have felt that way that like this is the best way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah just, embrace it, you mean. Yeah, yeah. I- I- embrace it. You know, he says in, in, in I Me Mind, he says something to the... Sorry, not the song, the book, I Me Mind. He says something along the lines of the Russells and the Be- and the Beatles and the Pythons should have all just got together and formed like a, a, a comedy music group, uh, you know. Yeah. And uh, because he, he just felt that this film was just the best way to show the Beatles' career, i.e. as the joke that he felt that it was, as the slightly mm. surreal thing that he felt that it was. Uh, which you can understand if you'd lived it and you want, and you probably weren't that interested in seeing it reported, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. So seeing it parodied would be much more satisfying, you know. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that as well. Yeah. There's there's a story I think Eric Idle tells where there was an encounter he had where George Harrison and Ringo Starr sang "Ouch," the parody of "Help" mm. to him and Neil Innes. <laughs> And it like, was like the, this this idea of two Beatles <laughs> singing a Russell song to the Russells. Yeah. Like, just incredible. 
but yeah, you, you do get the impression. And, and from what we know about George Harrison's relationship and support for the Monty Python uh, troupe, you just get this idea that this was perfectly in keeping with his sense of humour and, yeah. and how he would want to exp- have this career explored yeah um for audiences yeah yeah uh to the extent that obviously he cameos in the film yeah yeah of course and you know yeah so he's there as a news reporter he's interviewing uh, michael palin who is playing a character called eric manchester who's right. the derek taylor version michael palin by the way doing a sort of excellent derek taylor <laughs> yeah. um you know in a way that i always find it really satisfying when someone is not doing an impersonation of but sort of par- parodying someone and, and putting more effort into it than you needed to particularly because uh, let's face it in i mean even now not that many people are familiar with how derek taylor looked and sounded mm. um and in 1978 even fewer uh, yeah <laughs> and, and, uh, but he's really he's sort of mustachioed and loose and all the rest of it you know and it's just <laughs> it and it's loose just really a great word. it's really nice how uh, how much how much Derek Taylor he's giving in the yeah. whole thing. And it's great, you know. And that is a very funny scene as well. Yes. Like with, with everyone sort of robbing the uh, the uh, the indoor, the offices. But but also it's a really interesting point to land on because one of the things that I found surprising about the film, given that George Harrison was an advocate for it, as far as we've been told through different accounts, John Lennon was a big fan Ringo Starr was more or less a big fan. Paul McCartney less so, but later on, thanks to Linda, you know, turning around on it. I was surprised that the film dealt with some of the more tragic moments in the Beatles career in the way that it did. Yeah. In particular, Lepo. Uh, yes. Who is obviously, you know, I mean, we, we've just come off the back of <laughs> watching, recently watching an early episode, uh, The Birth of the Beatles, obviously in previous season of this podcast we covered backbeat you know having having watched at least one of those films that deals with Stu Sutcliffe's death yeah. in a uh in a very sort of a big impactful way for, yeah. for the Beatles it feels very strange that this then becomes an object of comedy um mm. in the film yeah I think he he disappears with the rats and is never seen again is is yeah the, the story yeah. there so I mean the, there is a good joke in it where uh, the fact that he's called Lepo is because he's like a, another Marx brother so mm, like like yeah. um which is it Harpo Marx is the yeah the, the, Harpo, Marx, yeah. the Marx brother who yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like there's a good joke in that but also the interesting thing in that is in 1978 how many people were aware of Stuart Sutcliffe yeah, how exactly. many people yeah, were even right. aware that they'd been to Hamburg, particularly? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. they, they might have spoken about it a little bit in interviews, but I'm not sure there had particularly been. We don't really know, though, do we? I think that's the. I guess that's the point. Well, I think maybe if if I had a better handle on what date various books came out, but then even if, like, you know, a pretty popular book had come out by that point. Which sort of dealt with the whole crit. So you know, like like Hunter Davis's book had come out because that came out in sixty eight or sixty nine or whatever it was. So that that would have told people that. But still, for people to get some of the jokes in this or even have an idea what is being parodied, they would need to have a fairly in depth knowledge of Beatles history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that you know, and there are other things in that, as as you say, how some of the sort of real life tragedies are dealt with. So the death of Brian Epstein Mm. is uh, dealt with where the equivalent character, Leggy Mountbatten, 
It, is it still gets a laugh for me. It's, it's, like, it's, it's, it's a good joke. Yeah, though. it's a good joke. And you know that guy is in Life of Brian as well. Oh, is he? Oh, He's in the Blessed Are the Cheesemakers uh, oh, scene right at the start. It's oh, like right, he, yeah. he and his wife are sort of arguing with. Um, they get they wanted to shut up. You know the thing at the start. Oh yeah, yeah. No, anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that's him. That's him. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. So the leggy Mountbatten character accepts a teaching post in Australia, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's kind of set up like he's going to die, and then yes. they do the whole. Like, uh, oh, they're shocked, 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 yeah. shocked and stunned, stunned you know. Yeah. And then, and actually, that was one where I kind of felt it uh, aligning with real life in that, because uh, that footage, like, I mean, you know that footage where, in real life, where, the, you know, the guy's saying to John Lennon, like, what what plans have you made? And he is absolutely dumbstruck. Yeah. And he's just, well, we, we haven't made any. Like, you know, we've only just heard. Like, And you can see on his face that how absolutely, you know, he just has no idea how... He literally just heard the news that his friend is dead. Yeah, yeah. Like and, minutes and, earlier. And, and, some, you know. and that is something that I, I realised that a short space of time feels so much longer in, when it comes to the Beatles' career. Right. So, you know, 1978 is, what, nine years after the Beatles' last album. Yep. Right. And, and that probably feels like a very, very long time. But it's... I guess it's hard for us to grasp how fresh still some of this stuff would have been. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, what are we talking realistically? Like maybe 15 years? I can't do the maths. 15 years before. Brian Epstein's death would have been roughly 15 years before this film came out, right? Uh, um, 11. You're going to do the maths. Is it? No, that's not right, is it? 67 he died in. So 67, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. Okay, well, let's just, okay. So eleven years, even it makes my point even uh, more powerful. Um, <laughs> Quite right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, eleven years. Yeah. So Brian Epstein would have died eleven years beforehand. Do we think that it still felt fresh at that point, considering all we know that the the band and him had would have gone through at that time? Mm. It's an interesting thing to to think that eleven years later, it was okay to make a joke about their reaction to their friend's death yeah you know that feels quite difficult to swallow i think yeah gone. and and i think to like eric idol says on the dvd commentary which i was listening to yesterday that two years later when john lennon died in real life i think george harrison when asked for his reaction said he was shocked and stunned right yeah. I, I i think yeah. and uh, i'm not sure whether that's completely true but like <laughs> uh, but but I can imagine it's the case, and I, you know. It, but also, it's it's not so much that George would have been making a joke at that time, but it's also just the eliding of of reality and fiction. Because actually, that is a scene where I I struggle to, you know, before sort of rewatching this, I sort of struggle to remember in my head whether they actually the real life in um, Banger used the words shocked and yeah. stunned. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, sure. You know. But going back to where the film works, though, is that there are funny jokes made in and around those situations. Like, I feel like they're dealing with tricky subject matters to be parodying at that point. But, you know, again, for, for me, it's all about the narrator. So when he's, you know, he's at the rap cellar <laughs> and he's saying... You know, regardless of what he says about uh, Lepo, 
but that is surrounded by loads of stuff that is genuinely really funny. We're talking mm. about like you know the bed and the breakfast. The bed is still here. The breakfast long gone, rodentally <laughs> chewed, mouse masticated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, oh, is it in a word? Eaten by rats. Yeah. And then the you know the fact that Leggy Mountbatten took up a teaching post in Australia. That that, that is genuinely that's there. That those are really funny jokes. Yeah. It's when it switches to the. Beatles part of it I feel like this is <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it, it just the, the portrayal of, of those moments I don't necessarily feel like they're bringing the, the jokes into that it's just you're just recreating what happened there are also bits where you think well what is this parodying mm. so you can kind of see why Paul wasn't all that keen on Eric Idle's portrayal of him when so there's the scene where Dirk McQuickly marries Bianca Jagger, well, it's not Bianca Jagger, played by Bianca Jagger, who yeah. marries a, is a French actress, I yeah. think is the idea. And so, and so you Speaks, see... Speaks uh, not very good English and not a word of French. <laughs> right, yeah, which, and that's a good joke. <laughs> but, um, uh, and so you see, like, the wedding day stuff. And actually, the interesting thing about that is that Eric Idle's hair in that is exactly the same as Paul's hair was on his wedding day in 1968. Right. Sorry, 69. Um, 69, when uh, Paul, Paul and Linda got married. And his hair is exactly the same. Like it's quite, it's quite sort of floppy, and you know he's sort of. I think it looks like recently clean shaven. Right. Um, so you think this is obviously parodying Paul and Linda's wedding day. Yeah. And then what it is is a like a, a French actress, which is I, I don't know what that's trying to parody. And and then beyond that, the joke is that the his new wife is like quite bored by him and seems to be rolling her eyes a lot and he's like like trying to kiss her and she keeps moving out the way and things like that which is which is like sort of quite good slapstick and it's like quite quite funny and stuff bianca jagger is is really funny like the sort of non-verbal acting she's doing is really funny but it's not parodying anything particularly and i can kind of see why paul would have watched that and thought but you're just making me look like an idiot yeah because there is there is something to be said about each of the Beatles' portrayal uh, with their respective rattle. Yeah. So I, I think that Ron Nasty as Lennon is actually very, very faithful yeah. to to the real Lennon yeah. and, and his sort of journey. And brilliantly played brilliantly by Neil Innes as well. Yeah, really so, it's a fantastic performance yeah. by Neil Innes. Really um, I think that Stig, that's just kind of like, a, it's a little bit of a, well, it's not a one-note joke, is it? It's the idea of uh, George's interest in spiritualism, I guess, informed the casting of that role. Yes. And also the, the idea that he was the quiet one and, and, yeah. and the character doesn't say a word in the entire film. Yes, yeah, exactly. Which which uh, that in itself is, is, is a good joke. That's a good joke as well, as is the Maharishi. <laughs> yeah, 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 the Surrey mystic. Surrogate, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Surrey Mystic, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then Barry Wommer's Ringo. Yeah, which again, I guess, there's not an awful lot to his character. There is, there's a, a little bit of a. I, can't, I think there's one moment in there where uh, it mentions that Barry spent an entire year in bed and <laughs> as there a was, tax dodge. Yeah. As a tax dodge, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and other people thought he might be trying to start his own rumor that he had also died. <laughs> <laughs> like this is an idea that him trying to compete with the other Beatles would be funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, there's, I guess, there's a kind of a broad connection to their respective Beatle. Yeah. But the portrayal of Paul doesn't really do 
Paul Justice. Like he's no. just he's he's basically just a bit of a buffoon. Yeah, which is a shame in a way. Yeah, and actually, I wonder how much at the time the way that Paul was thought. So this is nineteen seventy eight. So what you're just in like the latter days of Wings when he so it's probably around sort of Mull of Kintyre time when actually I wonder whether Paul solo and with Wings is at the peak of people of him being a bit of a national figure of fun. Oh really? Yeah, maybe. I suppose I hadn't really thought about it in that context, but yeah, you know, around that time, you know, he's doing his the the songs of his and Wings that people think of as like the cheesier ones. Yeah. Which, you know, with with hindsight are fantastic. But at the time, people thought of as like, oh, this guy is a bit of a bit of a lightweight now, you know. So yeah. I, I suppose maybe 1978 was kind of the peak of that narrative. Well, no, it's sort of po- post-John dying was sort of the peak of that narrative. But yeah, yeah but, but 1978, yes, that idea was still in force, the idea that he was a bit of a, just a bit of a lightweight in general. So maybe, maybe that's the point of that that. Maybe, portrayal of him, yeah. maybe, yeah. I hadn't, I wasn't really watching it in that context. But it's only now I say it that I come to think of it that the, way. The point yeah. that you make about uh, Eric Idle's hair in that scene is really important, I think, because right. one of the most impressive things about the film to me was just the attention to detail yeah. in recreating not only footage but like right down to outfits and props and, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when they when they recreate the, like the most uh, really obvious ones when they recreate the. Uh, rooftop performance it's mm. like oh my god like, i feel like barry Wong is wearing maureen's coat like it's, it's <laughs> yes, like the, yeah. the the outfits are incredibly yeah uh familiar yeah when there's the performance of piggy in the middle from the tragical history tour yeah that whole song sequence just feels like you're watching an alternate take of i am the walrus it's amazing yeah yeah like to the extent that it just wouldn't surprise me that they found the exact spot and recreated it there. You well, know, quite, it looked like to be it. honest, that probably would have been the easiest way to do it. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. That, yeah, that big yeah. concrete thing that the policemen yeah. stand on. Yeah, and the glider goes over. And, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, but like it's just just that like this for it, it's, there's there's a lot of work that's gone into recreating these scenes really mm. painfully. For picking the middle one away is actually one of those examples of songs that I think is a very good parody of Iron the Wars. That that is an example of one that I think actually works well. As much as I was sort of um, downplaying the album's merits earlier, uh, I, th- I think that's a good example of one that works well. Yeah. But I'm just generally, I'm. It's, it's not that I'm laughing at it. I'm just impressed by it. Right. Yeah. That that's kind of the distinction, isn't it? Yeah. Like, um, like there are good jokes in that bit as well. The fact that there's there's like a pantomime cow and like two guys dressed up as a camel yeah. in in it who are kind of walking around. Which is kind of funny in itself, but 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 again, like it's it, it it's no sillier than what was actually happening in no, real life. No, exactly, yeah, you know? that's it. And because there was a bit of me watching it going, oh, the guys dressed up as a camel, yeah, they, they're really making it look ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. And then you think about what they actually did in real life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah, but and, and I think you know, but that's the thing. It's just it, 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 every time. You look at a scene and think, "This is brilliant. This is this is a really good parody." You think, "Well, what is satisfying me about this? Is is it the fact that you have pretty faithfully recreated something that the Beatles actually did? Mm. Which and there's a level of satisfaction to that. But uh, but what are you, as a comedy film, what are you actually delivering over and above that? So sometimes there are jokes in it over and above that, and sometimes there just aren't. And that's why I feel like it falls a little flat i think i think the main 
there, there is a really big, pretty fundamental joke in it that is only sort of half finished. It's only half done. It's this idea that they're called the Ruttles. Yeah. And the narrator talks about the Rutland sound. Right. Mm. Now, I know this is based on the Rutland Weekend television TV show that Eric Idle did, and I know it comes from there. We should explain that, though, because, uh, you know, some listeners might not know that. So it started yeah. off as a sketch on what was a sketch show yeah. called Rutland Weekend Television. Yes. Which was, as I understand it, um, set up as a the idea of a uh, a local news program. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Rutland was the local area and the sketches were all based around that same theme. Yes. So there was this one sketch that that started this. The, the Russells basically was this idea of there being a Beatles-like band that came from the same area. Yeah. That then got popularity through Lorne Michaels and Saturday Night Live, and we should probably talk about that part of it as well. Yeah. But yeah, and then and hence that then became this sort of spin-off movie. Yeah, exactly. And Rutland being a, a real area in the UK, sort of around Leicestershire, I think, I, I'm not sure it exists properly anymore because I think boundary changes have actually meant it's been subsumed into other areas of the UK, so I'm not sure it actually exists as a geographical area anymore, but people who live around there might still refer to it as Rutland. So in in my mind, the way you do that joke, and I'm about to tell Eric Idle of Monty (laughs) Python how to write a joke. (laughs) Listen up, Eric. Here's how it works. No, but but in my mind, the way you do this is you have uh, this fictional band who come from Rutland and they... Uh, and so you talk about the Rutland sound, and therefore the entire film is based around this entirely alternative Beatles called the Ruttles, who came from Leicestershire, right? In the same way that like, look, how Brian works in Life of Brian, right? It's an, it's an alternative version yeah. of what that is parody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, really good way of thinking about it. Yeah. yeah, like Brian is an alternative Jesus, Ruttles are an alternative Beatles. Yeah. Um, you know, bigger than Jesus, arguably. <laughs> um, and so... That then becomes an entire um, alternative reality in which you can parody the entire thing and you can maybe even make the joke that these two things were going on at the same time or you don't have to if you don't want to. But but it leaves open that possibility. But what this does is say this band is called The Ruttles. The narrator, Eric Idle, talks about the Rutland sound, Mm. you know, parodying that idea of like the Mersey sound. But then the actual band, The Ruttles, are from Liverpool played in the cavern in Liverpool and, and, you know, Liverpool is sort of in it throughout. And at that point, the joke for me kind of falls down because I think, well, but you, but you just mean the Beatles then. Yeah. Like why, why didn't you, t- you know, take a, have a, have a venue called, I don't know, the the Tavern or whatever. That, that, I, was, that is I, I knew what you were going to go for and right. I couldn't think of a good rhyme and you got there straight away. So you didn't, <laughs> that's pretty good. But, the it's already, you're a better joke writer than Eric Hyde. I, I, think I, I think we've proved that pretty yeah. con- pretty conclusively. <laughs> uh, I think he, 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 uh, he'll be quaking in his boots right now. Um, but uh, certainly John Cleese should be. Um, but... Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, um, no. <laughs> he was very good in Magic Christian. He was. <laughs> You're right. It's it's among his best work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, at, at that point, it, it's half a joke. Yeah. Why, why don't you do the whole joke? I don't I, I get it. Like, I feel like the film is being faithful to its roots as a spin-off from this sketch show. Yeah. But actually, what has survived over all this time is the film and not the sketch show. Like, yeah. People don't remember that. So actually, this idea of it... This idea of Rutland 
has just kind of slipped by and and no one really cares about that now so the joke doesn't work and it I was suppose... and actually in hindsight it makes you realize there was no need to stick to that as a sort of initial premise yeah i i guess it's you know it worked obviously you know yeah, yeah. there's a big sense of you know it's the bloody beatles white album shut up about this because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it, it worked we, we dedicated an entire hour to this so yeah i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it ended up having some merit <laughs> yeah absolutely and, and of course you know the jo- the joke worked but yeah no it's it's weird and i i just wonder whether at the time I think it, it it went down really well at the time. I think in general, you know, because it was, it, you know, it was, yeah, it, 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 it was, didn't in America. I believe, I believe, okay. so it was it was um, shown on TV in America. I, I think I've seen a couple of things about how in the prime time slot it came sixty fifth, which was last. Right, <laughs> is, is how I've seen that phrase several times. Yeah, but I think it was a big hit uh, here in the UK. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I want to touch on Another way of saying what we've spent the last 50 minutes saying, which yeah. is including Mick Jagger and Paul Simon in this, yes, is really, really good. It's really yeah. fun watching actual celebrities, uh, you know, actual famous people at the time being in, in on the joke. Yes. But I would say that they're not adding to the joke. You know, like this idea that, you know, Mick Jagger and Paul Simon talking about specific moments of things that happened to the Russells, yeah, which we are aware of because we've just seen the news footage of the Russells doing that thing, yeah. and Mick Jagger is talking about them having done that thing without really adding like an extra payoff yeah. to that. the The joke is in seeing Mick Jagger talk about it like it was real. Yeah, but th- but think how satisfying that would have been in 1978. Yes, no, and that is fair. Like, that is like, fair. Yeah, because that because you know if you think about. Uh, pop star never stop never stopping yeah um in, in which ringo is one of the talking heads in yes. fact yeah uh probably not enough to justify an entire episode of this but it, you know but well, <laughs> we'll see we think that's <laughs> well, what we get by come come season six <laughs> yeah right um <laughs> but um it, it's the same thing it is uh, and also like in uh there's there's like the the, the hip-hop spoof documentary cb4 where like rappers are talking very earnestly about uh, this group who changed everything mm. it's the same thing you know where, where this oh yeah this is this is the greatest group of all time and this is how the influences it's a similar satisfaction to watching like extras or something like that right where it, where you get celebrities who are like earnestly doing a thing mm. and they are like in, engaging with the thing and Mick Jagger in particular it delivers a really good joke in it 
where he's talking about he's, he's sort of parodying the the thing where in real life the Beatles uh, John and Paul like, wrote I want to yeah. be your man for them and it's like oh they just went off and sat in the corner and finished it off and Mick says you know like they they just went to the pub and they wrote this song and they brought it back to us and and it was horrible we ended yeah. up not recording it at yeah, all yeah. and and like it, there's that really good. He, he's his comic timing in that is really really yeah. good you know yeah, that's he, really he's, satisfying he's actually you know? very charming in those scenes I think yeah, as, I as think he so. talks about it. he's very sort of natural I, and yeah. I do agree with that I think that Mick Jagger example is, is a good example of saying that where he, he does say something funny but yeah. in general I, I, I don't know like, I guess you know Asking Mick Jagger what what broke up the rattles and is saying women like Chazelle Femme like you know yeah. I guess that's kind of it's that is it's funny the way he delivers that yeah um, yeah I like think with, so. with certainty and stuff but yeah I don't know you I I was I was expecting a little bit more of a payoff or, or some kind of um, I I get the impression that it was kind of improvised you know and, yeah and I guess I was expecting something a bit more um, scripted to to have that payoff yeah like if it is improvised then like you know him uh, off the cuff saying "shushy love him" is is brilliant and yeah, is and brilliant, good yeah. for him. You know? <laughs> but I think also um, Mick Jagger in that is sort of forced to engage with the joke. So there's a joke in it about you know Leggy Mountbatten slash Brian Epstein. So it's yeah, it's, so it's a gay joke, and um, so Mick is kind of forced. No, not forced to. I'm sure he did it quite willingly at the time. But like you know, it, it, he engages with that joke about um so you see an interview with his mother who talks about well what was it that you know that that you know first struck him about the bands like with well, the trousers you know they're, they're yeah. very tight trousers you know and all that kind of stuff you mm-hmm. know and and she delivers it really well but it's really funny actually i think it's, that, re- that it's, whole re- thing. it's really well delivered yeah, yeah but but also it's this is the funny thing about um it's, it's not terribly surprising for 1978 of course but this is the thing about, you know, all, all, all the Beatles generally being okay with the whole thing. But then, you know, there are still essentially gay jokes about Brian in there. Yeah. But it, but also, you know, it's not mega surprising. I mean, the, the Beatles themselves were making gay jokes about Brian while he was alive. And, and, and for 1978, yeah. I would go so far in my capacity as spokesperson for the gay community. Oh, yeah, really, yeah. I would go so far as to say that potentially not as offensive as other things that were being made at that time yes like I'm there sure are relatively yes. relatively innocent jokes yeah like there there's a this this idea of brian epstein being interested in the boys not because of the music but because of their tight trousers yeah is quite a tame joke to laugh at yes. as opposed to you know it's not there, there isn't actually a hint of seediness to that joke which would have made it different it's not no. like the there's there's no hint in these jokes about the leggy mountbatten the brian Epstein character that he was trying to take sexual advantage of the boys it's yeah. just this idea that he was enamored with their tight trousers which i i take i took to be a sort of an innocent yeah no, version of that that's quite know? innocent and quite playful yeah. but yeah but yeah it, it does I, th- I think the bit that mick engages with later on and repeats the bit from the narrator is about him being sort of involved in youth clubs and boy scouts and things like that. Right. And that's kind of where it's getting to. I think it was of, her. I think it was Queenie that said that. Was she, it? I, I don't know. Maybe Mick Jagger repeated it. I could be wrong, but I, I, know, I she, can't she remember. definitely said something about that at the time. Yeah. But, but anyway, it's not, it, it's mm. not sort of Mick Jagger that I'm, 
blaming for this. It, 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 it yeah. is the film's joke. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It kind of equates homosexuality with paedophilia in a very yes. casual way, which, you know, at, at the time would have been an easy joke to make and probably not one that people would have paid much attention to, but, you know, has, has not aged terribly well. Yeah. But, but I mean, to be honest, for a, for, for a comedy film from 1978... That is the absolute worst of its crimes. Yeah, and yeah, not, yeah, you know, and it's not, you know, and it's that that bit is not great at all. But in in terms of when you come to look at a, a comedy film from nineteen seventy eight in um, two thousand and twenty two, you would expect there to be much much worse. Yes, in agree. It yeah. Than overall yeah, yeah, there yeah. is there is in the Russells. Yes, exactly, and, and as we'll no doubt and possibly have already got to uh, <laughs> in this podcast. One of the things to mention was, I guess, the, the, we mentioned previously about Saturday Night Live. So the story goes that Eric Idle, he presented Saturday Night Live at one point, And during a montage in the episode, the show aired the sketch from Rutland Weekend Television yeah. where they covered the Russells. That led to uh, Lorne Michaels' support for this film being made. Yeah. And as a result, we get cameos in the film we yep. have Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi in the film yes all playing brilliant characters I was really taken out of the film when I, they came on though because you expect this to be a purely British Monty Python-esque affair and yeah. it was very strange suddenly being like oh my god that's you know like a half of the Ghostbusters right there in, in this in this film about yeah, this, yeah, this yeah, Beatles yeah, yeah, yeah. mockumentary thing yeah um, but they are brilliant John Belushi's character in particular is really brilliant oh, yeah, fantastic. Alan Klein fantastic yeah it's so good that, it, the way Ron, they Ron Decline no it wasn't Ron Decline Ron Decline it is Decline. yeah 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 okay. and yeah and the way it's that, that sort of stormtrooper music yes and it's yeah. like they're in like a white polar neck jumper and sunglasses yeah. got two guys behind him who <laughs> are wearing the same clothes you know and it, and he walks into the office and everyone's terrified of him and people and one guy's hanged himself rather than have a meeting with him and it's like as he walks it's, into the office there's a guy in the background who's been like nailed to the wall yeah yeah it's fantastic um and um yeah i think it's funny like seeing those guys because actually like the interesting thing like the the pythons sort of went transatlantic um Mm. but eric idle in particular is one of those guys a bit like ringo actually who's just spent most of his life in california since his 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 heyday Mm. and you know and he's got a bit of a twang to his accent now as a result but you know and, and it's easy to forget that actually um, he is just as in with that Hollywood crowd as he is with the, with the sort of British comedy crowd. Yeah, and so yeah. the the idea that people like it, sort of early SNL people would have been in this film makes total sense. Yeah, but but yes, I know exactly what you mean. We think of it as a British thing, and all of a sudden it's like oh, it's got Americans in it. Yes, yes, <laughs> but also it's, it's worth re-emphasizing that point there were early snl people mm. now they're bill murray dan Aykroyd, and john belushi but right, at the time right, right. actually that you know that could have been in another year a different snl cast that yeah. wouldn't have made such a big impression now yeah it back but it just so happened to coincide with yeah. three of the biggest stars that that show ever ever had yeah yeah, yeah. it's a uh, it's a shame actually that, that that dan Aykroyd being in it is playing a character akin to dick rowe i.e the decker executive who supposedly yeah. Turned down the Beatles, not entirely true, but you know, uh, but it, it, but that's you know that, that's how he's thought of, and and it's just it, it's one joke where he's being interviewed, um, and and Eric Idle, the interviewer, is setting the whole thing up, and then he says, "How does it feel to be such an asshole?" And he says, "What?" And that's the end of the whole thing. 
again, it's not it's not really a joke. No, particularly. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? It's yeah. like, and also quite. It was made for primarily American television, so I suppose like Eric Idle saying "asshole" yeah. in a you know in his British accent. Just that always sounds weird. Yeah, it did feel weird when yeah. British people say "asshole" rather than "asshole." You know, <laughs> but but even so, as a joke. I don't know, it just feels like a weird little attack on this I, one I, guy. I always know? feel yeah. like, as coming at this as a fan of, of of those three guys, I was just a bit disappointed because it felt like his scene was wasted. You yeah. Know, like his, his joke was that he coughed a lot before answering, gave a simple, giving a simple answer. Right, right, and then, right. And then yeah. got accused of being an arsehole. Yeah, um, yeah. And I kind of wanted to see more Dan. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I think Eric Idle spoke of Dan Aykroyd as being the one person... The one other comedian he'd met who could have been in the Pythons. Oh right. I think yeah. he, uh, you know, he said that like you know th- this guy really, you could just see his sense of humor. Like he really got got that, and it w- that would have worked. You know, yeah, him being yeah. in the Pythons, which is interesting. And yeah, so I mean, may- maybe at the time they, you know, he didn't know Dan Aykroyd so well. I don't know, but um, but yeah, no, it feels quite wasted. That yeah, yeah, know. it does, isn't it? Where, yeah. Whereas Bill Murray playing Bill Murray the K, yes, um, which apparently is parodying a specific scene in a documentary that was made about uh, the Beatles' first trip to America. And so that thing where they're in the back of the car listening to the radio and you hear uh, Bill Murray the K on the radio calling himself the fifth Beatle, that is like a specific scene that's being parodied. But apparently um, Bill Murray just sort of improvised a lot and there's like 10 minutes of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Rather than the minute and a half they showed, you know. That, that's so unlike Bill Murray to, <laughs> to go off script. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've talked about everything that I wanted to talk about about the Russells. Yeah. I've come around to it a little bit more. Like, through discussing this, you know, I, I feel like my stance on this was, I mean, it's a parody film. It doesn't really parody the thing it's trying to parody. But yep. actually, you know, from talking about specific moments of this, there's, there's still loads of elements in the film that were really reminded me how much of it I actually found really funny. Yeah. I'm still not convinced that there's the bits with the rattles in them, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there was still plenty of stuff throughout, throughout the film that made me laugh a lot. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I mean, like I, I really enjoy watching it. And like I said, it's probably the third or fourth time I've seen it and I always enjoy it, but I always end up thinking, Oh, it, uh, uh, oh, it's just doing the thing rather than parodying the thing. Mm. But I, but I'm not sure that that is the fault of the film itself. I think it's perhaps more the fault of the fact that we expect more from satire these days. Mm. We expect it to have not a target necessarily, but it, it, a commentary on the thing that it is parodying. Yeah, and and actually, there are lots and lots of things in the Ruttles, especially in the songs. Uh, in and of themselves as I say but also in the film itself that where I think it is enough that it is just doing an effective pastiche of the thing it's talking about uh, because it is fun and it is satisfying but yeah I think that there are places where it lacks jokes but maybe that's just because it's 2022 and it's 44 years later and we kind of expect more you know maybe that's all it is maybe that's all it is tell us let us know if you've seen the Ruttles and uh, would like to tell us where we are wrong. Have we slayed the sacred cow? <laughs> also, have we used the word parody enough in this podcast? 
<laughs> um, I'd be interested if anyone wants to go back and do a parody count uh, of the whole episode. Please do that or get in touch with us about anything else on the usual uh, social media platforms at Beatles Films Pod. Also, feel free to leave us a review if you like this episode or any other episodes that we have recorded for the podcast. Otherwise, we'll see you again for the next episode next week. Thanks again and bye. Bye bye. <laughs>